Voices of Hope is a podcast of New Hope Presbyterian Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. Our Sunday worship is on site and online at 9.30 a.m. And you can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any popular podcast platforms. This week, Pastor Jordan continues our series, New Hope at the Movies, with Where the Crawdads Sing. Scripture comes from Matthew 25, 31 through 46, read by Danelle Macaluso. I want to share the word of the Lord with you, reading from Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Now, when the human one comes in his majesty, and all of his angels are with him, he will sit on his majestic throne, and all the nations will be gathered in front of him. He will separate them from each other, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right side, your right side, put the goats on his left, and then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who will receive good things from my father, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. And I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you took care of me. And I was in prison, and you visited me. Then those who are righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and give you clothes to wear? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Then the king will reply to them, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, get away from me, you who will receive terrible things. Go into the unending fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, and you didn't give me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me anything to drink. And I was a stranger, and you didn't welcome me. And I was naked, and you didn't give me clothes to wear. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't do anything to help you? Then he will answer, I assure you that when you haven't done it for the least of those, you haven't done it for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous ones will go into eternal life. Uh, we are doing New Hope at the Movies, uh, is the series we're doing uh, for the summer. And today we're going to be talking about where the crawdads sing. Uh, how many of you have read the book or seen the movie? Oh, so a good amount here. Good. Uh, so uh, instead of summarizing it for you, we have the trailer that will show you, that will give you a good idea of what this film is about. I like you. I heard the tall tales told about the Marsh Girl. An abandoned child. I had a family once. They called me Kaya. A little girl surviving in the marsh on her own, reviled and shunned. Hello, Miss Kaya. I hear y'all by muscles. 
so invisible. I wonder if I'm here at all. You are. I think you're gorgeous. I want to get to know you better. There's no fingerprints on the railing. Great's nothing. No fingerprints? Being isolated was one thing. Being hunted, quite another. You didn't see me here. The Marsh girl, she killed him. I know you have a world of reasons to hate these people. No, I never hated them. They hated me. They harassed me. for my life. I won't. They're not deciding anything about me. In spite of everything, trying to stomp it out, life persists. Way out yonder, where the crawdads sing, the marsh knows one thing above all else. Every creature does what it must to survive. So there's a couple of characters I want to focus on today when we're talking about this. First is the main character, Kaya. Uh, this, as you could tell from the trailer, but it's more than just in the trailer, but she's been abandoned by absolutely everybody. Her parents, her brothers and sisters. And so she's been living in the marsh on her own since she was a little child. So that's our main character, uh, Tate, I believe. I just want to double check that I get it right. Tate Walker, yes, he is uh, the first man that enters her life that truly cares about her, but then he goes off to college, which feels like another abandonment to Kaya. And then we have Chase, which is the you know, the jock in town, the star quarterback that uh, shows interest in her. And so he becomes kind of the main um, protagonist of the story, or antagonist. Um, and he's the one that is found dead, and she gets put on trial for his murder. And then also we have Jumpin' and Mabel, who are the shop owners that you get to see a clip a little bit later of her entering in and how they look after Kaya. So these are the main characters we're going to be focusing on. But first, we want to talk a little bit about Matthew 25 and the scripture that was read by Nell earlier. There's a word in Matthew 25 that can really dictate the way we read it. It's that. All right? I'm not going to pronounce it. Um, so it's that phrase in the, in the Greek. And uh, it's in verse 32. And it can mean two different things. So... If we take a literal interpretation of it, it means all nations, but then it's used in similar ways throughout Matthew for referring to Gentiles, so basically non-Jews. So it changes it a little bit, but I think the meaning kind of stays the same. So if we are to take it as, um, as the, the Gentiles, what it's kind of saying is that the least could mean Jesus' little ones. So Jesus' disciples, Christians, it could mean that. So that it's talking about looking out for the least of these. It's talking about looking out for Christians. None, uh, or sorry, 
back up a second. What it's saying is it's teaching to the Gentiles, take care of Christians, essentially, okay? That's the summary. Then the other one is talk about all nations, so it creates a more universal feel to it. But uh, if least is all nations, then the passage takes on this more universal tone. It helps us to understand those that are maybe different from us. It would refer to the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, and the prisoner. And then all people are going to be judged according to their care of these people. If we look at it for the least being Jesus' little ones as Christians and the Gentiles are being spoken to on how they should take care of Christians, a question naturally arises from that then that gets us back to the same place. If Gentiles who knew nothing about the Jews' deep tradition of caring for strangers and knew nothing about Jesus' message to love as God loves are expected to know enough to feed somebody who is hungry, clothe somebody who is naked, and heal somebody who is sick, regardless of where they came from and what they believe, then how much more should good Jews and Christians care for all people, regardless of their race, their faith, and you could go on with any of that. So essentially, it brings us back to the same place, that we should be the example. We should be the ones that are teaching all people, this is how the kingdom of God works. So that's a fun little Greek lesson for you all. But both translations, they lead to the same place. So if, um, if it's universal, it still, com- if it still falls on us as a command from Jesus to k- take care of those who are maybe different from us, that society puts on the fringes, that society doesn't deem as worthy of love and care. And one of the things I want to tackle first before we kind of uh, move on with most of the sermon here is when we talk about these things, there is something I think in our society right now that, that can really derail this conversation together. All right? Now, I've been your, past, your associate pastor for a while, and I hope I've built up enough trust that we could talk about hard things together. And one of the things I want to talk about today is something that's been going on the last couple of years that, to be honest, as a pastor, makes my job a little bit more difficult. And that's terminology that we use. There's terminology that gets out there into the ether that we use for lots of different things. It could have meant something uh, different at first, but now it means something totally different. One of the words I want to talk about is the word woke. All right? I want to talk about this because what it does when people say it, we use it for something that we don't like or don't agree with. And what it tends to do then, it derails a conversation. Conversation is no longer allowed. You said it was woke, can't say anything back. As a pastor, when we think about scripture and what Jesus is teaching us, a lot of it could be labeled woke. Which is hard, because when you talk about it and then people do that, you're kind of shut down and you can't do anything about it. They've made up their mind about you. They've made up their mind about what you believe. So I want to kind of uh, step away from that. I want to encourage us all that when we use terms like this, and it means something primarily in the political realm... It's putting our politics above our faith. It is making our politics an idol above our faith. 
And so when we use that, we use it mostly in political terms. And I just want to put that out front because when we talk about Matthew 25, when we talk about taking care of the marginalized, sometimes this would pop up and they'll say, Pastor, that sounded very woke. Hmm. So then I can't say anything back to it because you don't want to engage into the political discourse that there's no winning. Now I know that talking about this may feel one-sided and there's plenty of things to talk about on another side as well, but this is one of those primary things that I have felt over the last couple of years that has made it really difficult to talk about things together as a church family. So, when we talk about Matthew 25, you could think in your head if you want that it's woke, but that was Jesus' words. So if we do that, we shut, up, we shut down a conversation together. And it could be exhausting having to navigate that space all the time. So when I, can't, I can't speak for all pastors because some pastors do get more political than others. But for me personally as a pastor, my desire is always that I'm guided by my, my scripture, my church, by God, what I see the stories and scriptures are above politics, and I've worked very hard to try and do that and represent myself well that way. And I think as Christians, it is our duty to um, transcend politics, that the kingdom of God doesn't fit neatly into any of those categories. And so I hope that... Um, as we think about this together, as we hear the words today, uh, that there's enough trust that I built up that we're careful together around politics. We, we know this is a church that has a big table and has a lot of different ideologies and politics and theologies. So let's work together of having our faith transcend our politics. That's what I try to do in my life and I hope you can too. So if we look at the dynamics that play out in this story and in this scripture, the story of where the crawdads sing, and uh, Kaya is an outsider, outsider, marginalized, feared, mocked. I'm going to show two clips next that kind of give this different energy. It gives two different ways that you approach somebody like Kaya. Uh, the first is going to be in a shop, which I mentioned Jumpin' and Mabel, uh, who look after Kaya. They kind of know, they don't know-know, but they know she's on her own. And so they help in little ways that they can. And then the second clip is going to be about uh, Chase and Kaya and their relationship and how he treats them, how he treats her. So we're going to be looking at these dynamics. I want you to just pay close attention to them because I think Matthew 25 is making this distinction of either we can be this way or we can be this way. You wait for our change, yeah? Helping out your car while your mom's gone. I ain't seen her in a while. She's doing chores at home. Mm-hmm. Great, say much to go on. All right, let's see here. Pa left two dollars here, and the bill is one dollar and fifty cents. How much does that leave for gas? 
Don't worry about that. I got another question for you. You go to school? Do you know that they published the school lunch menu in the paper? Today's is Salisbury steak. You could get a nice hot meal, make some friends. Plenty of kids go to school without shoes. But you will need a skirt. That's me number four. There you go. And the change is 50 cents. So in that clip, it shows us the one decision that Jesus puts forth about this sheep and goats and, and taking care of the least of these and you take care of me. It's showing that uh, as, as a person of true faith, part of that is being marked by a peculiar empathy towards the poor, the marginalized, and incarcerated. And so this is what it looks like Mabel and Jumpin are doing. They're caring for Kaya because they know that her, her dad, who's in this scene, he leaves later on, uh, isn't actually taking care of her. And so they're going to be the light in her life that continues to support her and look out for her. Here's the next clip with Chase. Hey, what you doing in town? I had some good news from the publishers, so I, I thought we could celebrate. I was going to make... Um... There he is. Ah, you know, uh, Brian, Tina, Pearl. You guys know Kaya? Sure, yeah, the Marsh girl. Pleased to meet you, Kaya. I'm Chase's fiance. All right, well, uh, I'll see you around, Kaya. Find you here. I told you to leave me alone. No, I know, but I, I just listen. I wanted to say I'm I'm sorry. Really, I I feel bad about how things turned out. How things turned out? What? You mean how it turned out you were engaged the whole time we were together? How it turned out that you lie to everybody? Kai, I have to do things I don't want to do. You know that. No, I have to get married to someone like Pearl, but no, I had to. But you're the one I really want. You know, any other man would have tried to change you, to fix you. I never did. No, no, please, please, wait, wait. I need you. I, I really need you. I don't know how long in that place. You know, nobody else knows me. No, I feel sorry for you. But I want nothing to do with any of that. So in this clip, it shows us the second thing Jesus talks about with the sheep and goats. And describing that people with maybe a false faith, not true faith, is showing outward religion and that 
you care for the poor, but actually you have quite a callousness towards the needy, the poor, the least of these. That's what Jesus is setting up in this teaching that we're looking at today. And in our, in our clips, for the first one, that's the one where it feels like people are looking out for each other, taking care of the marginalized. And the second one with Chase, it seems like he cares about her, but we find out he really doesn't. He cares more about himself than her. She's, he's using her in a way that's beneficial towards him. So I, that's why I want to be careful when we think and look at people in our world who uh, act religious, but then their actions have nothing to do with it, that there's a certain callousness towards those in need. This is what Jesus is setting up in the scripture today. So which option do you want the church to be known for? Do you want it to be the first clip that we showed, or do you want it to be the second clip? What option do you want to be known for? Should the church be like Chase, where we only use the least of these for our own gain, where we can tout and say, look at all the good things we've done for people in need, and really it's more serving us than serving them? Or like Jumping and Mabel, the only characters in the movie who never abandon Kaya, the ones who always keep a watch over her because they know she is vulnerable. I think it's really easy to praise Jesus. It's a lot harder to obey Jesus. There's a quote here from Sky Jatani, who we used his book, What If Jesus Was Serious, during Lent. And he says this about this idea of praising Jesus rather than obeying. He said, this tension between praising Jesus and actually obeying him explains why so much of contemporary Christianity has lost its moral authority and spiritual credibility. On Sunday, contemporary Christians are eager to worship a crucified Savior who loved and forgave his enemies. But on Monday, we want permission to behave like the schoolyard bully who uses fear and anger to get ahead. Now, this isn't anything new. We've done this for thousands of years, right? We're always trying to grow and mature and become more Christ-like. So this has happened many, many times over. But in a world now, a contemporary world, where information is available anywhere, the jig is up. Because people are starting to see past the facade. Especially if we are Christians that just feel like we need to praise God, but then during the week, our actions, we're mean to people. We're, we're not fair to people. People see that now. It can't be hidden. This is a problem for the church. Matthew's vision is an important reminder that what we do matters. Our faith does matter. Faith is the only thing that saves. But what we do matters in this world. How we take care of others, how we look out for others matters because it's creating a glimpse into the kingdom of God. Persuasion rather than... um, Making people believe things. Persuasion of showing this is what we do. Come be a part of it. Come be a part of what God is doing in this world to make this world a better place to bring heaven to earth now. Notice in our scripture today that the people do not realize it was Christ for whom they're caring or failing to care for. They ask when, when, Lord. The implication is that the action was not done out of any expectation of reward or punishment. The righteous cared for those in need because they saw the need. And the unrighteous simply failed to do the same. 
We can make up all kinds of excuses why we shouldn't help people, why we shouldn't care for people, why we shouldn't advocate for people. But righteousness means we're going to do it when we see a need, and that's all that matters. The lesson of the sheep and the goats is good news because it asks each to share precisely what each has. The true center of this passage, whether it's food or water or compassionate ear or an open heart, everyone has something to share. There is more than enough for everyone. We all have something to share, whether that's making somebody feel not alone in their struggles and their grief, their sadness, or it's from our own learned experiences to help people understand that things may get better. We all have something to share with those in need. Now, there's a, um, in the Peace USA, there's an initiative that our presbytery is a part of. It's called Matthew 25. And Matthew 25 is an initiative really to help churches focus in on things that are important. Some, sometimes churches, I think New Hope has done a really good job of setting up values and mission and vision and everything, but some churches don't necessarily have that. And this is helping them kind of focus in on what is important. And it talks about being a Matthew 25 church. And there's three different ways a church can be a Matthew 25 church. One is building congregational vitality by challenging congregations as joyful leaders and disciples actively engaged with their community, seeing new disciples engaged in ministry and long-standing believers develop in faith as the gospel of Jesus Christ is shared in word and deed. So basically discipleship, making new leaders, building people up. And I think uh, sometimes we'd rather just have more butts in the pews than do the hard work of discipleship. Next one is dismantling structural racism by fearlessly applying our faith to advocate and break down the systems, practices, and thinking that underlie discrimination, bias, prejudice, and oppression of people of color. This may be the one that makes some people feel a little uncomfortable, may bring up the whole word woke in your mind, but here's what I would say. As Reformed theology people, as Presbyterians, one of uh, the tenets of Reformed theology is that uh, we're all sinful, right? We're all born that way. We can't stop it. We've all been born into sin. So wouldn't that make sense then that the structures and systems we create can be sinful? That just because we built them doesn't mean that they don't have problems or issues in them but it does exactly because we are sinful people. Next one, eradicating systemic poverty. By acting on our beliefs and working to change laws, policies, plans, and structures in our society that perpetuate economic exploitation of people who are poor. So looking out for the poor, looking out ways in which we set up systems that actually keep people poor and hurt people who are poor. I think New Hope does all three of these things. I think we try our best to help build disciples, create disciples. I think with our racial justice group, we look at the sensitive topic of racism in our culture. And I think all that we do and the ways in which we make an impact in our community with the Help and Hope Center and the ways that our deacons help others, we try and help and alleviate poverty. 
So that's what makes a Matthew 25 church. Now, the one thing I've heard before when we talk about these things and, and we talk about sharing and helping people out, people will eventually say, when they get pushed too much, will come to this and say, you know what, no, I worked hard for this. I worked hard for what I have. And I want to say that's a half-truth. That's true. We all work hard in our jobs. We try our best to provide for our families to, to have enough for retirement when we get older. But also, we don't do it on our own. Nothing we have done has been on our own. We've had people come alongside us and help us. If you own a business, you have employees and customers. You can't do it without them. I know I look back on my life, there's a lot of things I couldn't do on my own. I uh, look back to just when I was thinking about uh, school starting, when I was a kid in sixth grade, horrible at math. Horrible at math. Um, so I laughed when Wyatt said, I'm excited for math. I am not. <laughs> but my sixth grade teacher, his name was Jason Van Wyk, and he took the extra time to come in, to let me come in early in the morning before school started to get extra tutoring. Something he didn't have to do, but he did. And then eventually he, he left teaching and became a pastor. Um, and he became my youth pastor, so it was a pretty cool story. I also think of when, uh, three years ago almost now, that Michelle and I moved into our own home during 2020, and we couldn't have done that on our own. We had help from friends, we had help from this congregation. We couldn't do it on our own. So if you sit back and really think about your life and the things that you say you worked hard for, of course you've worked hard for it, but also you didn't do it alone. And in our world, in our American society right now, we are so hyper-individualized that we forget about community. We forget about caring for each other and advocating for each other. So many, many Christians are enamored with the question, when will Jesus come again? I think it's the wrong question. I think Jesus is already here. We see Jesus in those we may consider least among us. We see Jesus in the child going to bed hungry. We see Jesus in the stranger who is of a different ethnic group, someone who does not look like me. We will see Jesus in the prisoner if we go and visit the prisoner. These are not just metaphors Jesus gives because Jesus also is not a metaphor. If you know the story of where the crawdads sing, uh, there's the murder and the trial, and the book, I didn't read the book, but I believe the book and the movie are similar in their endings, that it leaves it a little bit murky if you really know if she actually killed him or not. It was an accident, or maybe she was protecting herself. And so then, we think about this idea of helping those in need, helping the least of these, because when we do that and we help the least of these and we help raise up people, people won't be put in positions where they are trapped and they can't do anything and they end up doing something that hurts others. That's part of the system, right? It's part of fixing the system that we're a part of. Helping people to not get put in positions where they end up doing things like murder or stealing, but instead putting them in places to succeed. 
What this teaches us is if we continue to be a world that doesn't look after the least of these, these perpetual acts of sin will keep happening because people are put into these positions where they don't have a choice but to simply survive at all costs. That was the thing at the end of the trailer. It said, the marsh knows how to survive. So what if we dreamed of a world where we were able to meet the basic needs of everyone so then no one would feel the immense pressure to simply survive but instead thrive? That's what the kingdom of God is. And you may be thinking, well, Pastor Jordan, that's not realistic. Yes and no. Yes, it's not realistic because our world has fallen but it's realistic in a sense we can keep pointing to that, that this is the way it's supposed to be. This is what the kingdom of God is going to look like because that's persuasion to people. It looks different. It's not of this world, but it's also in this world. So either we can decide to be a chase in the world or a jumping in Mabel in the world. That is what Matthew 25 is pointing us towards. Amen. Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you have enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. If you want to know more about New Hope, you can subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, The Midweek Memo, by going to our website and signing up. Friends, may you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and may you go and love your neighbor as yourself. Go in peace.